Hello and welcome back to the Busted Header. Uh, this episode's a continuation of a previous episode, and you should be able to find that episode in your podcast feed. Uh, we've been joined, uh, as always, by Chris Webster, who you can find on Twitter at NotTheFakeWebby. And we are rejoined by uh, Nate Parks, who you can find on Twitter at Parks on the Board. In part one, we talked about some recent news in world football, including the Neymar transfer saga and some of the uh, early trends in the Premier League. And uh, now we want to dive into football statistics and player evaluation. So once again, you can find that previous podcast in the Busted Header feed. And uh, I'll cut right into the second half of the podcast right now. All right, so in the same vein here, when we look at these young kids... I guess the next topic I want to I want to hit here is is how we evaluate them. Um, I I know how I look at guys from a basketball perspective, the way I want to look at athleticism, the way I want to look at their decision making, and I think it's it's very similar in how we look at soccer players. Just uh, I guess I guess starting with you, Webster. What are the things when you look at a young player and you're trying to figure out whether or not this guy's really good or not? What are the things you're looking at? First. I mean, I get if I get the opportunity, I like to look at mentality. So with basketball, I'd, I've gotten a pretty good amount of chance to go see a lot of basketball games. So I kind of want to see, you know, when they're in the stadium, do they miss a shot and they immediately kind of like turn their head and disgust and they're kind of ticked off? Or are they just kind of like, eh, I'm going back in the way. So the first thing I kind of look for is mentality. So I think that's what really sets someone else apart. I think a good example of that would be um, Donovan Mitchell when he came up. One of the things I remember when uh, the Pistons were, of course, in, in on him in that around that pick area, was everyone had talked about, yeah, he, he's got a good shooter, he's, you know, a good defender, he's athletic. But the part that really kind of stuck with me was, you know, his father played baseball, and he had grown up being like a constant professional, seeing the baseball locker room, seeing how his father was, and kind of emulating that. And I think that's something that really allowed him to get right out of the gates and be a star player in the NBA. So for me, it's a lot of, first of all, mentality. And then I'm looking a lot in terms of the kind of, the athleticism and their uh, potential because I'm that kind of a person who is, I, I like to have the fastest guys, the tallest guys, just the best, the best athletes more than maybe some of the other um, skill places and feel uh, and touch and stuff like that, regardless of what sport. So, so how do you, how, when you, when you watch a guy, what are you looking for when you're tr- trying to judge athleticism? Cause all these guys are, are going to be good athletes. What, what's a, what's a way when you're watching a game where you say, this player is clearly a level above that player in terms of athleticism. I think it's a lot of it I, I feel like is body control and kind of what you're doing in soccer, of course, a lot with the ball in your hands or basketball as well. Um, but just kind of how you're controlling yourself, how you're timing your jumps, how you're knowing when to kind of use a little bit of extra speed to get past a guy. Um, it, it's more of uh, just trying to see those controlled spurts of athleticism, not someone who's necessarily jumping out of the gym, but knows when to time their jump and when to to get the most of it and when to 
know what I really need to put on the afterburners to get around this guy versus passing it off to someone else. So like you're really going to be looking at like a, a guy's kind of finishing quality. Yeah, exactly. And you know whether or not he's he's able to complete those tough layups and, and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, and just kind of their experience with that and kind of their um, how used to what they are, I would say. All right, so what about you, Parks? What are you looking at when you're looking at a young player? Well, I uh, can't really talk too much about basketball, but soccer in terms, um, or at least in terms of soccer, um, kind of what Chris said in terms of mentality, but not necessarily missed opportunities, anger shown at that. I'm more looking at decision-making. So, for instance, uh, Mbappe, I'm going to go back to him because he's the ideal like young guy who comes out and blows blows everyone's doors off, right? Dude's super quick, super athletic, um, but his decision-making and his ability to stay cool under pressure. Uh, I remember in the Champions League a few years ago, uh, PSG were playing Man City. Or sorry, not PSG, excuse me, Monaco. It was the year they won the, the league and made it to the semifinals of the Champions League. Monaco played City and ended up having this ridiculous series where I think it ended 3-5 the first game to City, and then the second was the inverse, and it ended up going to, like, overtime. I... I Forgive me for forgetting that scoreline, but I believe Monaco ended up going through, and it was just absolutely nuts. Like, Mbappe scored some ridiculously great finishes. And this is a kid who was, like, 18 at the time, you know. So the mentality is making the right decision, not playing the ball off when you should, shooting when you should, um, but also just, like, coolness under pressure. Anybody can hit those shots, right? If you go back to, like, you know, a basketball reference, right, you see guys in the time – or all the time in the gym, like, you know, hitting tons of threes and making easy layups when the pressure's off. When the pressure's on, then you have a true test of an actual player. Like, are they going to be able to make it? And sometimes it takes a while for those guys to kind of flesh out. Arian Robin is a good example of that. Robin was notoriously unclutch early in his career. Um, He was a great player, tons of speed, tons of dribbling ability, and obviously the ability to cut it and shoot on his left foot. But he was very unclutch for Bayern Munich and, you know, Chelsea and Real Madrid before them. And he kind of had to evolve that aspect of his game. And we all know Robin is like this, like, super lethal dude because we, you know, we've seen him since, like, 2013 where he's scoring goals against Dortmund in Champions League finals and, you know, rifling in goals against Spain in the World Cup and, you know, just being absolutely just, you know, having a knife's edge. But he wasn't always that way. So... That's kind of a misleading statistic sometimes, but I think it's a really good indicator of a, ver- of a very, very, maybe even a generational talent if they have that ability to stay cool under pressure, make good decisions in those like very, very tight, pressure-filled situations. I feel like that's a really good indicator. It was kind of funny to me that we were talking about young players and you decided to bring up the cut inside men. <laughs> so, yes, let's talk about these young, young, ex- young very new players. Arian Robin. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the, the baldest dude ever. Yep, that man is six when, years old. When you talk years. about a, <laughs> it's true. When you talk about a player, you know, being clutch like that, is it a player who? Because when, when we think of a clutch situation, it's always you know the the determining factor is always you're against a good opponent. So is it a player who is unclutch early on because they didn't have the skill, they didn't have the ability at that point? Or do you think it's a mentality and a confidence thing? You know, or obviously there's going to be some component of both. But do you feel it's one more than the other? You know, is it just that this guy, you know, Robin just didn't quite have the speed in his shoulder dip and in his, you know, his first step there to get this curler off into the corner and now he does? Or is it at 27, Robin knew, you know, I can hit that shot and I'm going to take that shot, whereas at 22, he wasn't thinking like that. Well, if I can jump in real quick, I think it's a lot of boiled down to 
kind of preparing yourself mentally. And whereas some people just have that innate ability to, you know, be calm under pressure and be cool and collected no matter what the situation is, some people have to train that way. Um, and if I can go on a really far tangent here um, <laughs> to go to actually professional Counter-Strike, which I know Nate will follow me along with on here. Um, <laughs> Oof. One of the best teams recently has been Astralis, who were known for you know choking at the last minute in every single opportunity in the years leading up to recently. And one of the ways they kind of got around that is by specifically coaching their players and how to perform in those clutch, like, end-of-game, do-or-die situations. So I think a lot of it is just pre preparing yourself mentally for, uh, you know, the opportunity and making sure that you're ready to take advantage of it when it presents itself. I absolutely love that uh, Webby gripping the wheel and taking a full 180. <laughs> yep. um, no, no, it's a great he, – he hit the nail on the head. Um, it's really being able to it's, – it's confidence, right? And confidence grows from training – and practicing in those situations, you know, with Astralis in that case. But pulling it back to soccer, it's very much like, okay, I've been in this situation before. I ducked it up the first time. Let's not duck it up the second time. You know what I mean? And it's not beating yourself up for it, but it's saying, okay, I've been here. Don't do that thing that I did the first time. Like, calm down. It's being able to, like, take, take yourself out of the situation, slow yourself down, and make the right decision where – you know, if you're in a decision like that, like you have to make a clutch three and there's 0.2 seconds left on the clock and you're in the corner, right? And you, you're, you're down by two. You're not going to, you're not going to rush the shot. You're going to slow yourself down and take your time and make sure the shot's a good one rather than just get it off because you're, you know, not to worry about the clock, but to worry about your shot technique, right? So I feel like that's the more, that's the mature aspect of growing up as a player is, okay, I can pull myself out of the situation that I'm in right now. I can see, I can pull myself out of the context and just focus on the one thing that I need to do to win. And I think that that's, you know, to going back to Arian Robin, that's something he learned over time. He, he stopped trying to rush himself and started like, okay, I'm just going to let my mechanics walk me through this and I should be good. And that's a thing, if you have that early on as a player, like an Mbappe level talent, where, yeah, he knows his mechanics are good. He's been there before. He just needs to slow down and take himself out of the moment. He's golden. I, there was a curler heat against Man City on the run, and it was something I would expect uh, you know, a 28-year-old prime Luis Suarez to hit, but this is a kid who's 18 who just banged in a top a top drawer shot against Man City in the Champions League. And it was a goal that ended up helping them win that tie. So to be able to take, you know, you've got Robin over here who's a great player, but you've got Mbappe here who is 10 years his junior who has the same level of, like, control and the ability to perform under pressure that's just to me that's way more impressive than any amount of blistering pace or shot strength or passing ability it's solely your ability to pull yourself out of the situation and calm yourself down there was i can't remember what coach it was on a podcast i listened to a long time but he it the what he said really influenced how i I've, I've looked at uh basketball players when I look at, at rookies and, and kind of do my draft evaluations. Uh, I think the phrase he used was accountability to your fundamentals, hmm. you know, uh, hold it, holding yourself accountable to get, get your shot in your shooting pocket, get your release right every time, you know, no matter what, um, you know, he, he, he talked a lot about, um, you know, making sure that when players are shooting, you know, off balance, crazy shots, your upper body should be the same no matter mm -hmm. what. 
you know, your, your lower body might be doing something crazy because you're shooting off the run or whatever. But, uh, and I, I, I'm still learning, I think, to, to evaluate, you know, young players, especially in, in soccer, because it's, it's so hard um, for, especially for me, there's, there's the, uh, the fundamentals aren't as obvious, you know, like there's, there's certain things in basketball where it's like, this is a crossover dribble and you know whether this kid has a crossover or not. And in soccer, it's like, I don't know if this guy can do a, <laughs> a roulette. I don't know if the roulette's the right move. You know, it's, it's, it's so much harder for me in that situation. But I, I think that's kind of the same thing you were hinting at is, is this, you know, the focus and the precision to maintain, you know, your confidence in, in what you're doing and your fundamentals uh, as, as you do them. Yeah. I mean, well, also going back to that, the roulette is 90% of the time not the recommended approach. Yeah. <laughs> Having known guys who do roulettes in games all the time, and you're just like, pass the damn ball. Quit, quit. Except if you're playing FIFA, in which case it's It always is always the, the right, right thing in FIFA. But it's like you have one guy in a, in a rec league game, and you know everyone is hung over from the night before, and the dude is just rouletting out of bounds. And you're like, no, stop. <laughs> this is not FIFA. But um, yeah, that's actually that's a really cool state. Uh, that's a really cool, really really good way to evaluate is commitment to fundamentals. I like that, um, and that definitely holds true with every sport. I would say you know basketball and soccer, you know included that in that bunch. It's whether or not you should shoot far post or near, whether or not that should be a high. Like you have to, a lot of it goes into it, right? You know, especially with basketball, if you're trying to, you know, can you take this three over this dude who's like seven feet tall? Same thing with a you know same thing with soccer. You're in the penalty box, so you shoot low to the corner. It's going to be lower percentage, but the goalkeeper's really tall, so he might have a harder time getting low. Versus, I go near post to pace, but he's a long guy, so he might get to it. Um, versus, like, should I take the shot or rather try to play the ball out for a cross? There's a lot that goes into it, and you know, same thing with basketball. Well, and that's something we don't, we as fans, you know, we really can't figure that out. But but pregame prep is so important. And we, you know, there's nothing we can do to really know whether or not a player has has really, you know, read the scouting report, as the as the saying would go. But you know, that matters, yeah, big time. And that's, you know, especially in a in a sport like basketball, where you're going to play a team seven times maybe to to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Being able to know player tendencies and that kind of thing is a huge deal especially because defense is more important than than anyone ever wants to admit in every sport mm-hmm. um you know and, and learning how to play defense the right way and defending guys tendencies and in soccer knowing this guy's gonna want to take me outside every time or this is a cut inside guy that kind of information is vital and that's the kind of thing where a, a senior player is going to know and a rookie probably isn't going to pay attention to it yeah i'd, I'd completely agree with that um, Chris might have some more insight into how important it is in basketball versus as it, in, as it is in soccer, but I'd say individual player tactics aren't necessarily as big of a deal. I mean, you're going to have like one threat player who's like, okay, this guy, like a Robin. I, I don't know why we keep going back to Aaron Robin on this, but the guy cuts in. <laughs> That's a you thing. Yeah, it's a me thing. There. I don't even like the guy, but he's a good example. <laughs> he's also really shiny, so he's kind of easy to pick out in the crowd. Anyway. Um, yeah, you know Robin's going to cut in on his left foot. He's going to shoot. He's going to do it every time. He doesn't care who you are. You could be Sergio Ramos. He's still going to do it to you, right? So that's an individual tendency, but it's more of a team tendency. Like, you know City are going to hold the ball and press. You know Liverpool are just going to press like madmen. You know Barcelona are going to try to play around you and, and extend the play and try to tire you out with a press. Tiki-taka. Yeah, tiki-taka. Tiki-taka and you to death. 
Mm-hmm. And I could go on about tactics all day because that's my bread and butter. But, yeah, it's I'd say from a basketball perspective, I, I think because there's fewer guys on the court, you know, you can, like, analyze, okay, how many different player combinations are they going to throw at me, you know, out of a bench of how many guys are on a bench in basketball? Like 10, not even, like six, plus the uh, five on the court. So it's a, fi- it's a 15 roster, yeah. 13 can be sure to okay, go. I think so. Yeah, in theory, you have 11 dudes to worry about. Okay, 10 if you take out the goalkeeper, because I don't think Bern Leno is dribbling past anybody right now. But Hey, but hey, Manuel Neuer definitely you gotta is. Okay. <laughs> That's also, Neuer's been, Neuer's been bitten by that lately. But anyway, um, yeah, you've got you've got to take into account all the different players. So it's a lot, and everyone has a lot more. There's 10 different positions on a field as outfield players you have to worry about as opposed to five in basketball. So I feel like basketball warrants a more individualistic approach where you need mm-hmm. to account for a team in the case of soccer, especially when you have coaches like Pep Guardiola, who is very much, you need to act as a team, much less as individual players. I, th- I think the system preparation is probably yeah. very similar. You know, you look at something like what, what Arsenal did against Liverpool this weekend, where, where they forced a very narrow formation and, and wanted Liverpool to cross the ball. In, and they, you know, they had a very specific tactical setup. And it didn't yeah. work, but it was a very specific tactical setup for how they wanted. And when you play someone like the Houston Rockets and you go up against James Harden, the whole team, you know, the whole team is setting up in a very specific way to cover these pick and rolls and these passes. You mm-hmm. know, that that's all, you know, game prep. It's not it's not about an individual person, but it's it's probably more important in that regard. So to to kind of talk about player evaluation, one more thing, because one of the things. That's a personal pet peeve for me is when you talk about a player, you know, and getting past the the racist uh, piece of this where uh, black people are always fast and white people are always crafty. (laughs) One of the things that always bothers me. Hey, man, I like to think that I'm pretty crafty, okay? (laughs) You're definitely crafty. Zany, I think, is is maybe the word I would go for. Zany. Um, but one of the things that always bugs me is, is the universal use of the word fast. Mm-hmm. You know, because to me, there's very different levels of fast and there's very different stages of being fast. Like uh, to keep this in, in soccer terms, you know, one of the first things I've kind of learned to look at when I look at young players is whether or not they scan the field before they receive the ball. Because it seems like such a simple thing. Like, yeah, you should know who's behind you. You know, check your rearview mirror before you you drive somewhere, and yet it's the the you know the midfielders who progress the ball well are the ones who can turn right away because they already know where the guy is behind mm-hmm. them. You know, that's that's a huge part of being fast and playing fast. And you can be Santi Cazorla and not have, you know, real foot speed. Um, but because you have great awareness, and you know, great tact or uh, technical skill. You can play fast. Um, you know, the, the difference between, you know, guys who know how to use uh, their body fluid, fluidly and kinesthetically versus guys who kind of run mechanically. There's a very different feel in that regard. And I'm kind of wondering, have you, have you guys noticed things when you're trying to evaluate, you know, how fast a player is that, you know, you're like, wow, this guy's fast. And then you come back to it, and you're like, you know what? Maybe he wasn't fast, but he was doing this, and that made it feel yeah, definitely. Um, 
I think there needs to be a difference. I think a lot of people today just assume, just say, fast is fast. He's so fast. He's so fast. But I think a lot of people need to learn the difference between, like, fast in terms of speed and fast in terms of quickness. Because <laughs> I see a lot of people, he's so fast. What makes him fast? Well, he gets around people real quick. Like you said right there, it's quickness. <laughs> like, especially. Well, like, is Kyrie Irving fast? No, but he's quick. <laughs> no. No, he's but he's, he's agile, yeah. right? He changes speed fast. He accelerates fast. And obviously, he has a technical skill. Yeah. James yeah. Harden isn't any Usain Bolt, but yet he's quick as hell. And he'll his body control will get you really quick. <laughs> yeah. You have enough You have enough acceleration to offset your opponent in whatever way you want. Sure. Yeah, I mean, a good example of that in soccer, who is not someone who traditionally comes up. And I, I don't really refer to him as quick, as more of slippery is uh, Sergei Milikovic Savic over at Lazio. He's one of my favorite midfielders to watch. He's really the only reason I actually watch Serie A currently. Because I'm like, ooh, La- oh, like, ooh Lazio's on. Better watch that. Um, because his ability to... And it doesn't even, like, he doesn't even really need to look. He just has an ability, an innate ability to determine where midfielders are or where opposing players are around him so that he can play through a through a high press, right? You've got two guys who are at his back. He receives the ball from a defender, and he usually plays a little bit more deep than a traditional like attacking midfielder would. He's more of a box box kind of guy who can carry it, and I love watching him receive the ball at feet and then just like suck it into his body and then just like spread it out somewhere random, and he's completely like blown through two dudes who are trying to press him, and he is so much fun to watch because of his slipperiness, as I like to call it, because he's big, he's strong, but he's also got soft feet, so he can pull the ball in and like it'll just disappear. They don't know what happened to it. And it pops out on the other side and he's now like three feet away from them driving at their defense. So, and you could make a you can make a claim for Paul Pogba in that regard as well. Um, and I have many opinions about Pogba. Love the guy to death, but he makes some dumb decisions sometimes. <laughs> won't go into that, but Milikovic Savage is a great example of a guy who's slippery, almost like, you know, Kyrie Irving, who is not super quick, as you guys have mentioned, but somebody who, makes good decisions in those tight spaces and can use their acceleration to their advantage and, you know, putting people on the wrong foot. Like, it's it's basically Messi. Messi is not outrageously fast in a straight line, right? But he has such an ability to accelerate on a dime and change directions that he's nearly impossible to catch. Because you can catch up to him, but now he's cut back. And then you cut back to catch him, and he's he's burst beyond you using a combination of skill and trickery. And now he's... 10 yards beyond you where you both started even and you've expended a lot more energy than he has. And now you're tired. So I think Messi is one of my favorite people to watch because he has mastered the, the art of, of the body shape and, and, you know, projecting something instead of broadcasting something, mm-hmm. you know, the, there are players where it's like, you know, they, they turn their body one way. And it's like, Oh, he's going left. And, Messi turns his body one way and you're like I think he's faking left and going right and then Messi goes left anyway because he's in your head yeah. you know eight different yeah. layers and and it's it's absolutely fascinating to watch players you know like him who you know because because he's the best dribbler in the Easily. world mm-hmm. and and yet he doesn't do the complex like the dribbles he does are things you can do with two-star dribble moves in FIFA you know they're not crazy roulettes and and step over moves. It's just tiny little controlled flicks and knowing exactly where it is and all shoulder fakes, and head fakes and it's brilliant. Yeah, and it's it's so amazing because it's like I, how do you teach a kid 
to do that. Well, I would say he's like the one guy in the entire world who's been able to take the ability to move their body incredibly quickly as well as move their mind incredibly quickly. Like he's 10, 10 steps ahead of somebody, which I know is cliche, but he sees people moving to react to him about three or four steps ahead of them, but ahead of like the other player. One of my favorite ever like messy moments is not even anything crazy. It's not a crazy goal. It's not a crazy drill of high 10 people. I was watching a Champions League game that Barcelona played against AC Milan, I think 2013 or 2014, probably 2013. And uh, Kevin Prince Boateng goes to tackle him. And Messi, Messi's not really doing anything. He's holding the ball up. And Boateng is coming in from behind him. And Boateng, like, if you, they, they played it in slow motion. And Boateng's left foot is coming for the ball. It's like maybe a few inches away from it. Messi, without even looking, senses he's there, pulls the ball back inside and, like, sticks a foot out, which then gets clipped by Boateng, and he goes down for a foul. And it happened faster than I could think while watching it in slow motion. Like, I thought he was, I thought, like, Boateng got the ball. And then all of a sudden, Messi's foot comes out of nowhere, pulls it back inside, he's down. And I was so dumbfounded. And I was like, this is clearly the best player on the earth. Like, maybe of all, probably most definitely of all time. Yeah. So and there's no doubt about that anymore. Honestly. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. Like the guy is the greatest player of all time, and it's it's insane to think that it's not only his movements, but it's his mind, his decision making, and also his like you said, it, he's mastered the art of the body shape. He does not have a tell. Like all the great players in the world have always had tells. David Beckham threw his left arm up in the air when he was about to shoot. Um, you know, everybody. And I'm using David Beckham as an example because that was the very that was a very obvious one, but. You can tell when someone's about to do X, right? A specific thing. Messi, you have no idea. And that, I think, is one of his greatest assets is he doesn't give off a tell. There's no way in hell to figure out what he's going to do. I feel like, you know, James Harden has a tell when he's about to shoot a, a, like a, you know, a drop back three where he where he probably traveled. Yeah, it's the four steps he takes before. Exactly. <laughs> so my point being here is, like, even he doesn't have a tell. And so even the best basketball players, I feel, have tells when they're about to do their signature move. Like, I feel like Steph Curry has to have a tell before he hits a three. Usually a half millisecond release. Exactly. It's it's literally a millisecond, something you cannot react to. And I think Messi has that in droves, if at all, you know. All right. Real quick, uh, which which would you guys rather have? The player who is who is technically sound but not athletic say like a i don't know a, a, a sesc fabregas or the the player and i'm talking like a youth player here who coming in or the player who's freakishly athletic but but clearly still needs the polish which which one is more exciting to you parks you can go first Ooh, um well i appreciate you clarifying because i was thinking of like technically solid but unathletic that's my brother um I was like, I would not want him on a team, but some family slander yeah, here. We're talking about like professional players who are just generally not the most athletic dudes on the pitch, right? Okay, sure, definitely. That's it. Just, just in terms of you've you've got a you know an uh, an eighteen year old youth prospect coming in. Do you want the guy who's already got the you know the dribble skills and the passing skills, but he's also got like forty eight FIFA pace, or do you want the next Usman Dembele who doesn't have, you know? the the dribble skills yet you know which which one do you prefer i mean which one's more exciting the to you? coach in me and you know i've coached like minor league soccer a couple times the coach in me is like okay i'd rather have the te- i'd rather have the athletic dude because you can teach him technical skills <laughs> however i think the technical guy 
is going to have a better career because they're starting off without the physical the physical traits. How many guys do we see come into, you know, either league and be either the NBA or, you know, any any European soccer league who's crazy athletic but does not make it far. But then you have guys who are super technical but make it, you know, all the way to the end. The the name that pops up to me is Xavi Hernandez, you know, the midfielder for Barcelona. Not the best athlete, like a 5'8 dude, kind of normal looking. Like if you walk down the street next to him, you wouldn't notice. He's just a dude. But the guy was one of the best passers of all time because he could, you know, and he wasn't like a he wasn't like a, a Scholes or a Xavi Alonso who's hitting like eighty yard long balls onto someone's foot. He was very composed, could pull the ball in. I'd rather, I mean, Xavi is the perfect example of a guy who was not an athlete but a phenomenal technician, and he was always that way. And your technical ability over time could only increase, whereas your athletic ability over time can only decrease. You can only get slower unless you hit like unless you're 20 and you're still learning how to run. But you hit a you hit a mountain with your you you hit like a peak with your athletic ability with your technical ability. As long as you're hitting it every day and working on it and learning new tricks and learning new things and trying to keep it sharp, it will only get better. So for me personally, I will say that what I'm looking for more. Um, I mean, for me personally, what I get more excited about would probably be the person who's more athletically gifted, whether in terms of height, speed, athleticism, whatever, what have you. That's what I kind of get more excited about. I know I'm wrong in that sense, um, and that probably the technical player, the more uh, gifted and more knowledge-wise in the game, is probably going to be the better player in the long run. But it's something that just doesn't get me as excited. Um, but I think, if we're being like truly honest, it really boils down to kind of a, a nuanced take, depending on the people you're talking about, in kind of... Um, their skills and you know the things they're weaker at is the you know skilled person just someone who's you know 250 pounds and got a beer cut and and <laughs> slow as hell but damn it he just pings just the perfect through balls yeah or how how dare you talk about Nikola Jokic that way <laughs> exactly like, this man has the sauciest behind tall. the back pass yeah sauciest back like back like back pass just can like roll that thing off the back of their back of their love handles like nobody's business. Exactly. And then the flip side of that is, am I getting someone who, you know, is a world-class athlete, but is should be in track and field, not on a football pitch? Am I getting, like, Zardes from the U.S.? Like, who, like, who am I getting here? I think it's a lot more nuanced than that. How, how about this, Webster, since, since we have such an obvious dichotomy in our last latest Pistons draft mm-hmm. picks, would you be more excited about Luke Kennard or Seku Dumbia? For me personally, it would be Seku. I'm really, especially in the NBA draft, I'm a sucker for the guy with the young potential. I want to shoot for the stars than when I'm getting a young player. I'm more excited about like a, like a Giannis when he was getting drafted. It's like this guy who's like 6'10", 6'11", 7 foot, who knows. He was playing over in the middle of nowhere, but we swear he's really good. And he's just oddly athletic and crazy. I, I think that's kind of more where I go for and I mean, you look like a Kristaps Porzingis, someone who's an insanely tall European, like power forward, who came into the draft as a seven-two power forward. That's something that you know every single NBA exec just kind of drools over. And then you look at the draft history on it, and you're gonna get more up, op- and more often than not, you're gonna get an Andrea Bargnani, then you're gonna get a Kristaps Porzingis. <laughs> so, I, I think it's obviously the more safe choice to go with the, you know, the more technically skilled player. But I'm not playing it safe when I'm looking for young guys. I want to shoot for the stars. 
See, I think for me, it actually changes with the sport. I think in the NBA, I'm probably a little more excited about the athlete just because I know it's so much harder to be like a, a truly impactful player if you're not an athlete. Like we, we all know, we I think we all love Luke, mm-hmm. but there's just like a ceiling there that's going to be really hard for him to get past. Yeah. Whereas I think in soccer, it's like you don't have to move to be a great holding midfielder. If you you know if you're this incredible technician, you're you're you know Busquets and you <laughs> yeah, know yeah. you're just you just turn and you're pinging great passes and you you know you know how to you know have a coverage shadow that's in the right spot all the time. Like who cares? So I I think it's kind of interesting that for me, you know I'm not I'm not overwhelmingly more excited for someone like Seku than I was for Luke because I I still have a tremendous respect for yeah. you know skill floors, but I, I think it's it's interesting that I am. In soccer, I'm much more like, nope, I don't care. You don't have to be an athlete. All I want to see is you be able to make this this pass. I want to see you play with both feet. Yeah, but with that, I mean, I would say there's the old basketball phrase, which isn't as appropriate nowadays, but you can't teach seven foot. (laughs) Like, you can teach a lot of things. You can't teach height or speed or natural athletic ability. So It is very true. Yeah, but you know what? Darko will teach you how to chug that beer. Hey, I'm here for it. We can have some good times with Darko. Take an outside perspective on the NBA. All the best players that I know from there are like freak athletes. So, you know, Michael Jordan, LeBron, Kobe, you know, uh, this season Giannis. You know, I really like Giannis, maybe because I have a crazy Greek friend who might be listening to this podcast. You never know. Um, but, you know, he got me really excited for this dude who's Greek, but somehow also African, but somehow also in the NBA and is like freakishly tall and ridiculous, you know. That those are the kind of guys that you pay attention. Like Shaq, you know, Shaq's a, a phenomenal player. He's also a freak athlete. So I would agree with that take. Is that in that you know in the NBA, it's I I wager it's probably more important to be an athlete rather than like a technician. All right, one of the things that's that's most um, how do I say this? It's it's increasing in relevance and increasing in prevalence in basically all sports is these the the new stats, the new advanced stats, the new tracking stats and and how we use them to talk about sports. Now soccer's a little bit behind basketball in the regard that they have tracking stats and they're not currently publicly available. There's a lot of companies like StatsBomb that are pushing out um, pretty regular content using them, but they're not as readily available, but I think it's interesting that now the the discussions I'm seeing on soccer from a lot of these writers and stuff are now starting to trend towards using these advanced stats. Uh, you know, we see uh, the the one in in basketball that's being used conversationally nowadays is true shooting percentage. Yeah. Everyone knows true shooting percentage nowadays, which you know it's not the most crazy advanced stat. It's got one uh, the the free throw variable in there the 0.44 i think it is is that right webster it's it's like 0.44 is the the value of a free throw that's what it means i actually looked that up so i don't see on that but yeah that's like that. that's well that's the only the only like magic number in there otherwise it's just yeah. a, a, a derivation of, of field goal percentages but you know that's entered the lexicon in the last five years it wasn't there 15 years ago nobody cared about true shooting percentage 15 years ago mm-hmm. and now we have things like xg in soccer yeah where every match you get an XG plot after the match looking at this stuff. And I'm kind of wondering, are you guys happy 
with this this insertion of new stats and and you know new uh, this new lexicon or is do you think it's kind of harmful to the way we talk about sports webster you can go first for me personally i'm i'm happy about it because i mean we've seen um, a kind of a an re a re-up on different statistical models especially in u.s sports like basketball like baseball especially where it's not just you know the analytic analytical nerds that know it it's you know it's known by the public like i can ask my dad what someone's slugging percentage is and he'll know what i'm talking about and he'll have an idea of what a good percentage is now, i don't know exactly what slugging percentage is good or bad but <laughs> i've heard of it a lot in baseball or like in basketball everyone knows what a you know the player efficiency rating everyone had an idea of what that meant and true for shooting percentage nowadays as well in soccer it's really kind of hard from what i've seen in terms of open uh, with with people openly putting out these stats you, you don't see them as much as you know with basketball we got basketball reference and it's getting the same way into the nfl and i know they're working on making a soccer one but it's not quite there yet and there's some good you know different sites out there like who scored it and stuff like that but it's not it's not doing the full job and i, I kind of know this a little bit last year me and parks were doing a champions league uh, kind of pool and just trying to see you know going week by week seeing who would win and a lot of what i wanted to do was kind of look up and see like all right well what is you know how are teams supposed to do at home how good do teams usually do just wanting to look at it at a historical level and it took me a while, but I was eventually able to find all the scores from all the games and kind of calculate it out. But I had to do that all by myself. I had to find the games, put them all into a giant Excel file, and then do some statistical modeling after that to figure out what the you know, how much home field really means for some teams. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to there being more soccer statistics, and I'm excited to see what can go on. Because I think there's a lot of things that happen in the game that aren't even getting close to being quantified right now. And... I think although soccer is a hard game to really quantify and a hard hard sport to kind of say uh, statistically, like, this is why this person is good. Because a lot of it is just, you know, they're just good. You just got to look at it. You got to see why. Uh, but I'd be curious to see what, what, what happens and what goes on going forward. The weirdest thing about soccer, at least in this discussion, right, is that probably the oldest sport, but also the one that's been the least statisized, if that's even a word. Um, and I love, like, right to Chris's point, um, I love the fact that we're getting more stats out there because we can kind of do more in-depth anal- like analysis on specific players. There are some guys throughout the history of soccer where you're like, I don't know why he's good. Like, I don't understand it. He is, but I don't know why he's good. And then there's guys who are like, man, that guy's really fun to watch. And he comes off the pitch, and he's covered, like, half a mile and done three step-overs and lost the ball three times. But you're like, dang it, it was exciting. Um, and so you have those, and you have those anomalies where statistics is kind of built to explain those anomalies. And, uh, I like how soccer is getting more in there. Uh, to Jake's point, I think my favorite stat in soccer is probably total attacking output. Um, total attacking output is very simple stat. It's your goals and your assists divided by how many games. That's really it. Um, and so they're basically a goal and assist are counted as equal because they both lead to a goal. And it's a good, it's a good judgment of... Um, you know, say a midfielder and a striker, because a lot of the times a midfielder will provide more assists than a striker. Therefore, you know, so on and so forth, the striker will provide more goals than an assist. And you have to take that in context, right? So you have to compare that against other midfielders. You're not going to take 
a guy like Frank Lampard and compare him against a striker, you know, in, in Thierry Henry, because the numbers are going to be wildly, wildly skewed. Frank Lampard did a lot more things in the engine room than Thierry Henry did, and so on and so forth. But you can truly, it's the stat that allows you to see more outliers than anything else. So the, my favorite one is Frank Lampard's total attacking output, because if you look at the top list of goal scorers in the Premier League era, the top 20 are all strikers, except for a man at number seven, who is Frank Lampard. And he played for Chelsea, but he is one of my favorite midfielders of all time because of his ability to make late runs in the box. Another guy who pops out in my mind is Yaya Torre. Um, and you, you get to see these, these guys who are competing in a completely different league, and it's very, very interesting. So a friend of the podcast, Joe Sinke, asked me to prove that his beloved Alfredo Morelos was a, uh, a world-class striker in uh for rangers in the scottish premier league so this is a good time to use these this uh goal involvements stat total attacking output to just say that uh so leo messi averages one involvement every 55.1 minutes premier league striker sergio aguero every 80.2 uh pierre emmerich Aubameyang 98.9 minutes and morelos averages an involvement every 90.6 minutes so uh not quite up there with the best of the very best in leo messi but he's as prolific as any of the great strikers in the premier league so that's something anyway parks you were going to talk about expected goals i think yep expected goals is a really really fun one too i love seeing that stat i know jake probably i don't know how you feel about it jake but um, i absolutely love that stat because it's it's really interesting and more indicative of how a game played out because everyone talks about, oh, they had more possession or more shots on target, but how good were those shots? You know, you can take a shot out. You can take a shot from, you know, you're trying to hit a target from Syria, you know, and you're going to miss, but it still counts as a shot on target. So, it, you know, it might have been, you know, a baby could have caught it, but at the end of the day, does that count as an expected goal? So I, I uh, you know, this is one of the next things I wanted to get into is kind of the, the way tracking data has, has evolved. And XG is a great, a great segue because personally I, I struggle with XG a little bit because from what I understand about how it's calculated and I haven't I haven't truly seen the formula I'm not even sure if the, the true uh, formulas is, is out there there's there's still a lot of variables in there it's basically just posset, position uh, of the ball position of the keeper and position of players in between and it doesn't register the flight of the ball and that, you know, there's some other stuff in there that I think is, is, is missing. So there's still some context to it that, you know, I think, I think is lacking. There's some things where like, you'll see a goal, you know, or, or a shot attempt, and you'll be like, wow, that was a great shot attempt. And you'll go and it's like, oh, it's worth like 0.05 XG. And you're like, what, how is this worth, you know, how do, how do 5% of these translate into a goal when you see another thing and it's this crazy you know, shot and you're like, wow, that was incredible. And, and XG is like, yeah, that should have been a, you know, there was a 50, 50 chance. That was a goal. Cause that's basically what XG is. As I understand is they're registering percentage of a, of a chance of a yeah, goal from, from that particular position. Right. So if, so if it's worth 0.8 XG, there's an 80% chance that shot should be a goal, which is an incredible chance, obviously in yeah. soccer. But, it's like, you know, so there's, there's just some things where it's like there every now and then you'll see a massive discrepancy and so I struggle sometimes, especially in games where it's like this team took thirty shots and they ended up with three XG, and this team took four shots and ended up with two and a half XG. Yep. And you're like, were all thirty of those shots really that bad? Yeah, I mean, and that's 
and and sometimes they are and sometimes you know i do really like i prefer xg chain and xg buildup those are really nice which is basically the idea uh they get midfielders more involved and and defenders more involved you know how many um basically the the chain and build up stats basically say you're one or two passes away from a potential expected goal so if your striker gets a a shot on goal that's 0.4 xg uh, and the the midfielder who passes to him is also credited with that with the build up to four x to point four yeah. xg, so that really helps when you look at you know you're like wow, our left back had you know one and a half xg build up you know all of the service came from our left back that game I think that really to me is is even more interested interesting than the xg because then I can look at and say sixty percent of our build up came through these two players, and and so. That I think is is interesting, you know. And there's there's some other stats we I mentioned before we were recording. There's like packing, which is a a stat that basically says this is how many players were beat by your actions, how many defenders were passed by your actions. So if you pass th- past uh, two defenders, you get two packing points, and if you dribble past a defender, you get a packing point, and that really helps represent midfielders a little bit because that's that's really when we look at these advanced stats. What we're trying to do is compensate for the guys who aren't being represented in the box scores, right? Yeah. You know, that's, that's, we get the, you know, in basketball, it's the same way you get a Michael Jordan. It's like, nobody needs to tell you that Michael Jordan was great. He had a season where he scored 37 points a game. But why was, I, I guess maybe I'm thinking someone like a, maybe an Andre Iguodala is one of those guys where like recently with the Warriors, he's not putting up points and assists, but I bet his plus minus numbers are are great. You're saying specifically plus minus. You know, that, that kind of thing. Figuring out how we can represent the impact of a player like Iguodala or a player like, like Mesut Ozil or, uh, Jorginho, Jorginho, like figuring out how to measure the value of someone like Jorginho is really interesting. Cause on one hand we see that Jorginho passes like 300 times a game. On the other hand, how important are those passes? Did any of them lead to anything important? Especially because under Sari, it was like, oh, we just passed like laterally back and forth to Jorginho 14 times and nothing happens. But then you play the one pass. That's incredible. And figuring out the value of that through these tracking stats is really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's to your point about uh, to your point about expected goals and and how it's calculated. Um, it's Probably more, and I say probably mainly because these formulas really aren't out in the public space. Um, they're kept kind of guarded by your optas and who scores of the world. And that's mainly to keep their statistical analysis brands on chain. And I don't mind it. I always enjoy seeing opta stats. But it is a lot less transparent than I would say NBA stats are, where, you know, the formulas are out there. Fans can be like, okay, I get, I get how this is, how this is put together. Um, but it's definitely more based on position within, say, like, okay, a shot inside the box from X angle is worth more than a shot from outside the box at X angle. Somebody taking a 35-yard shot is probably not going to get a ton of XG points, but somebody who's on the penalty spot is definitely going to get an, you know, an XG of, like, 0.8. So it's right. definitely more positional-based and angle-based, and that's probably the most defining factor of it. Like, yeah, you can have a team that has an XG of – 3.7 and has two shots on target but those two shots were like on the goal line you know or something ridiculous something silly um and like you said x goal chain you know the guys who led up to it i definitely think that's a more valuable stat than you know xg um one of my favorite ones is xg save or xg prevented like for judging goalkeepers just being like he had a stupid game the guy prevented like four goals from going in just on his actions alone you know like shots right 
And that, that one's a little bit more hard to justify, and I don't even understand how that one is because it's like playing as a goalkeeper for most of my like soccer life. I, didn't, I wouldn't call it a career because I played most of the NIM teams. But, um, you know, just stopping things, and I'm like, yeah, that's a really hard shot to save. Or, like, um, there's so many different – it's so dependent upon the goalkeeper – um, like what's a preferred shot type. You got small guys who are really good at their feet. You know, I hated saving shots that were like right at my feet because it was like, I got to get my foot out. I can't drop that fast. Yeah. So like from the Parks perspective is a of a tall lanky dude for the record, I'm, I'm a gump. There's, there's a, there's not much coordination here if at all. Um, he's six, four, but he does not play basketball. No, no <laughs> trash. Don't. I disappointed many teams as a child getting picked first and then absolutely just shitting the bed. Anyway, moving on to moving on to more prevalent matters. Yeah, soccer stats are a lot less transparent than NBA stats, and it's very unfortunate because I would love the ability to be like, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, the tackles stat that defenders are based on a lot confuses the absolute hell out of me because I've run by a defender with a ball before, but I was ten I was ten yards from him. Does that count as me dribbling past right. him? Is that yeah? It's like how close do I need to be? What's the parameters for this? Um, and like the math part of me is like, this does not compute, like give me a set boundary in which this stat is relevant. And what I mean is like, you can, I can run past a guy all day long, but if he's 10 yards from me, does that really count as a dribble? Like maybe, maybe I was just given a really good pass. Right. Let's, so let's talk about the literals here. I think we understand tracking systems pretty well, uh, some people may not we're literally talking about cameras set up the camera follows a single player all game long then they they register where that player is on the pitch at any given time and they do a little bit of math and they say the player went from this point to this point it passed this point in between and and it counts that as some kind of interaction and so the the question you're talking about is how smart are these systems at understanding the context they're registering? You know, we have in in basketball, we just got this second spectrum, I think it is, system, that they're literally able to understand, apparently, this one is not public, but they're able to say how often people uh, defending pick and rolls, how often a player stands in a certain orientation, which is really specific. On the other hand, we've seen soccer things, and we, you, you referenced this earlier, where we were looking at a stat that had um, Granite Shaka, the uh, midfielder for Arsenal, and like a middle-of-the-pack defender only getting dribbled past like twice a game. And I was like, no way. This guy gets ruined all the time. But if, if the system's registering him as being out of position, then he's not going to be penalized in this particular stat for something that is his fault. And we have to find a different context for him. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely not that level of technology. I mean, shoot, soccer is just now getting video replay. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, to be fair, we're light years ahead of the NFL in certain circumstances and that we don't use chains to measure down yardage. You um, do just let people inbound it from wherever the hell they feel like it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never been a huge fan of the throwing rule. Um, it's usually like, eh, give them like four or five yards, and if they get to like ten, we'll blow the whistle. Um, hey, you, you stop it. <laughs> hey, knock it off. You're, you're, you're by the I always line. love when the commentator's um, like, that was a foul throw, and it's like, nobody gives a shit, man. No one does. I mean, it's, it's it, kind of like how they had to bring out the disappearing foam because people just kept inching the ball forward and inching yep. the lineup and 
It's like, nope, hey. you stay. <laughs> hey, I love the disappearing foam, all right? The disappearing foam is amazing. Um, one of the best soccer things ever because it literally commentator the year it came out commentators did not stop talking about it for the entire year and it was great it was like they were bringing out the foam and they're like they had all these weird concerns about it like tripping players up it was just it was ridiculous but i, I them being concerned was it. one of the most british things ever was them being concerned about disappearing maximum foam. brexit yep. right there <laughs> maximum brexit maximum in terms of technology and those kind of stats we're a long ways off in soccer but uh, we're getting there, and the more stats I say, the better. So I want to I want to wrap up, kind of the discussion with this this simple question, uh, for both of you. Do you think there is a world in which soccer tracking stats can match basketball tracking stats? Uh, you know, because soccer to me is is such a subtle sport. You know, we talk about guys like Messi who are you know making so much happen with a little shoulder dip and stuff. Is there ever going to be a way where we can register that and measure that? the way we register and measure things in basketball. I think not as like set in stone as you can in basketball, but I feel like um, eventually I think we're going to get enough tracking data that we'll find some relevant things and be able to, sh- you know, give a better example of why, you know, Messi has done so great or why, you know, this player is prime for a breakout. I think it's going to be a lot to do with like dribbling and passing, but I think the more we kind of dig in and hopefully the more that the soccer field embraces it, and kind of gets more opportunities. And I think we could see a, a, a revolution in terms of soccer stats. Parks? Yeah. I would definitely say yes, um, 110%. Just based on how I know that we do things already. So, for instance, we have a specific way of tracking goal line. Ooh, excuse me. Uh, goal line technology, right? Um, that's not like a sensor on the bar. That's literally a laser up in the stands measuring the line and the plane behind the goal line we we actually used to have and i think we still do have refs stand on the edge of the post during a penalty to watch and see if the ball crossed the plane right you're trusting human eyes with a very very finite thing right a ball could come off the bar we've seen it done before we've seen horrible calls like in the 2010 world cup where lampard hit a shot off the post behind manuel neuer very evidently crossed the plane and it was called as a no goal came off the post and out and we've had crazy stuff like last year where Man City won the title based off of a couple of centimeters and Liverpool lost the title because of a couple centimeters. Things like that, which are absolutely ridiculous. So if we can measure that, if we can measure the distance a ball has crossed over the plane of a shadow based on some lasers, I think we should be able to get some more advanced tracking stats of individual players coming here in the future. If we have lasers dedicated to individual players in the game like okay are they in this position this position i know that's highly advanced but my i always run back to this crazy ass thing where uh japanese television has a camera that follows shinji kagawa in every game he plays (laughs) i'm like if they can do that if they can get one guy in a stadium to put one camera on shinji kagawa every game for every first touch every touch he makes even when he's not doing anything i think we can get a bunch of lasers to point at a guy and say, okay, he's in position, out of position, and be able to deliver those more advanced tracking stats. So, yeah. So, to me, I think the one concern I have is that soccer stuff, I think, is always going to be results-based. You know, it's not going to be, did -hmm. you make a good attempt at a dribble? It's going to be, this guy successfully completed, completed a dribble or he got tackled. Where I think one of the interesting things to me about basketball is we're starting to get to a point where people are going to be registering the process you take to get something 
and I'm not sure if we're ever going to get there with soccer. I will say the what what you just described is why I'm really hopeful for VAR moving forwards. Is this thing you know right now it's still a clusterfuck, and we understand why. But just as we as that technology gets used more often and people get more comfortable and the technology itself improves, we're going to see so much more done, you know, with VAR and, and it's going to be such a, a, a godsend so that we never have things like that stupid hand of God that still gets memorialized and shouldn't be and is ridiculous. The fact that that's like one of the most defining plays in, in soccer history is mind boggling to me. Yeah, for those of you who do not know what he's talking about, Diego Maradona had a, uh, a hand, actually in the same game, two goals. He had a brace. The other one is considered one of the greatest goals of all time. Uh, yeah. But the hand of God, he scored against England in the 1964 World Cup final that won, they won 2-1 uh, thanks to that goal. So and yeah, He basically punched it in. He, he, literally, he, he did, literally intentionally punched the ball in. To the Maradona's five foot seven. Their keep England's goalkeeper. His hand was just randomly above his head. Okay, there's no, you can't. Yeah, Ang- England's goalkeeper was like six foot three, and he was able to get over that guy. So I don't know. I I say bad goalkeeping personally, but that's just me. All right. So uh, I've run out of topics, and we have. As is tradition, we ran way over time. So yeah, thank you, Parks, for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, I think we're going to try and get more piston stuff here going as the uh, season comes on, but I hope we can flash back to to uh, the Premier League and some soccer stuff and hopefully some more crossover conversation moving forwards. Yeah. No, definitely. So thank you for coming I, on. Uh, I want to hear more piston stuff out of you because you're basically one of my only news sources for well, piston. That's a damn shame because there's a lot of options. We are Love you, fellas. Love you, fellas. I follow most of you. You're all entertaining. I know nothing. We, we are a pretend. community that is not great, but we are absolutely spoiled when it comes to our beat writers and our, and our content producers. So. Oh, yeah. Some of the best in the business there. Absolutely. All right. So. so thank you guys. This has been another Busted Adder. Today's music was made by Blank and Kit. You can find a link to their music in the description.